This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald. This is my show, Living Fearlessly, with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal stellar guest, a true leader, uh, a huge ambassador for Canada. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Rick Hansen, and before I turn it over to unscripted dialogue, as I always do, given how expansive and far-reaching the show is, I'm just going to plug a little bit about Rick's bio. So who is Rick Hansen? Well, what I can tell you about Rick, CCOBC is a Canadian Paralympian activist and philanthropist for people with disabilities. Following a pickup truck accident at the age of 15, Hansen sustained a spinal cord injury and became a paraplegic. Hansen is the most famous for the Man in Motion World Tour. He was inducted into the Canada Sports Hall of Fame in 2006. He was one of the torchbearers in the 1988 Winter Olympics and the 2010 Winter Olympics. He was profiled and spoke during the 2010 Winter Paralympics opening ceremony. He's been a young athlete who had won all-star awards in five sports. He became the first student with a physical disability to graduate in physical education from the University of British Columbia. He's won national championships on wheelchair volleyball and wheelchair basketball teams. He went on to become a world-class champion wheelchair marathoner and Paralympic athlete. The list goes on, and we'll get through that in the interview, but I just want to formally welcome you, Rick, to my show, Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks, Lisa, and uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to chat to you as well. Well, this is such an honor, and as I said before we went live here, Rick, you know, when you were thanking me for having you on the show and for selecting you specifically, 
I mean, you're just, you are, you know, the leadership, the leadership that you embody, the mindset that you embody, what you've done throughout the course of your life to pay it forward and be of service to other people, never mind all the accolades, never mind all the medals, never mind all the fundraising and everything else, which we're going to dabble into it throughout the program. But I just want to say you are remarkable you are an absolute remarkable human being for what you have done i mean the legacy you're going to leave behind is incredible well you know it, it's hard to believe that uh, you know life has taken me in this direction uh, over all these years uh, since that moment when i was you know laying on my back on the side of the road after the pickup truck uh, that we had hitchhiked with uh, had crashed and you know, uh, all of my hopes and dreams seemed to be shattered and, uh, you know, hadn't really contemplated much of a life at all and uh, been the incredible beneficiary of so many amazing people who have uh, stepped up to care for me, to encourage, to inspire and, and challenge. And, you know, and that's from family, friends and uh, and other role models. And, uh, and so, you know, when you receive it, you want to try to pay it forward, and uh, and you understand how important it is. So uh, it's become a life mission, uh, not not at that moment, but definitely as I uh, worked my way through, uh, you know, the the trials and tribulations of life, and understood how important it is uh, to have a, a purpose, and and uh, and the life of service is uh, one of the greatest purposes you can have. Beautiful. What a beautiful attitude. Well, there's a couple things I want to start off by saying. So um, back quite some time ago, I'm here in Ontario, but I did live in Alberta for a period of 10 years. And I did happen to sit on the provincial board for the Canadian Paraplegic Association, which is still to this day headed up uh, through the leadership of Taryn Clark, who I know you know and have worked closely with. And um, so we, you know, of course, we had the red carpet affair and you were the recipient of the Christopher Award, and I just want to say you are such a powerhouse, and you know what you have done to inspire people with or without disabilities in truly getting off the fence in their own lives, and always recognizing that you know there's always something to strive for, there's always something to achieve, and if you can't if you can't find that immediately within yourself because of presenting circumstances where you feel challenged, to feel motivated, or to feel inspired, all people have to do is look to you, Rick, and go, well, if he can do it, what's my excuse? And and I know that you got a lot of your inspiration from Terry Fox, uh, which is what propelled you on the journey of the Man in Motion World Tour. So why don't we talk a little bit about that time frame of Terry Fox, what he had done, and how that catapulted you on the journey to do what you did. Yeah, you know, in that era, that was pretty much when I was starting to try to reframe and, and think about life living with a spinal cord injury and, and not really knowing much about disability and I needed role models and people who would uh, be able to come and tell me that, you know, that, that life wasn't over and show me the possibilities and help me paint a, you know, a, a vibrant tapestry of colors in my new life and, uh, and give me purpose. And, of course, I, I came to realize that nowhere in the definition of an athlete does it say you have to use your legs in order to be one. And uh, of course, uh, at that point, I was I was really uh, introduced to an amazing an amazing person, and his name is Stan Strong, and he was he was basically the team manager of the Vancouver Cable Cars wheelchair basketball team, and he was a peer counselor for the Canadian Paraplegic Association in British Columbia, and he encouraged me to to get back into basketball uh, instead of using my legs. I could sit in the chair and and use my arms and 
and I was introduced to the cable cars team and was blown away by the you know the talent of the athletes and their skill and and heard all about the competitive opportunities and just got back in motion again in sport and Stan was such an incredible leader in our team you know he was the person who gave so much and asked for so little in return but he always encouraged us to to also give back to the team and one of my purposes uh, was you know according to Stan was to look for other recruits and as it turned out I was having dinner one evening with some friends and they told me about this young man who went to Simon Fraser University who had just lost his leg to cancer and he used to play basketball for the junior varsity team up at Simon Fraser and and uh, I said oh gosh maybe he'd like to come and play wheelchair ball and so I got his name and and of course, that was Terry Fox, and I called him up that evening, and and Terry came out to our team, and you know he was kind of feeling, you know, down and wondering, you know, what life was going to present now that he couldn't use his leg, and he came to our practice, and there was so many people who had way, way more challenges than perhaps he did physically, but they were past that early phase of, uh, you know, of feeling uh, angry or depressed, and they were moving forward and just getting on with life, and. And I think he was inspired by the environment, and Terry and I became great friends, and we trained together, we competed together, we roomed and traveled together, and and uh, I like to think that maybe I'd inspired him a little bit by getting uh, you know involved in the cable cars team, and I know he was inspired by Stan Strong, who was so much in service for all of us, and then Terry decided that he would try to run across the country and raise funds for cancer research so that one day cancer could be cured and and that uh that was an amazing an amazing thing and of course I followed that journey and and I saw I really saw how people responded to to Terry's journey and and they uh, they, they clearly were there supporting him for his purpose in trying to find a cure for cancer but I saw another emerging outcome of his journey which was that people were starting to see not disability but ability and and I was uh, starting to formulate of course by then uh, the the idea of wheeling around the world in a wheelchair to try to help others and to make a difference on a larger scale but Terry really helped inspire that uh, that connecting the dots of a physical challenge and a, and a purpose and got to the point where I decided yep you know uh, at some point I'm going to I'm going to actually do my best to make it happen. Amazing. And that you did. And just for the fact that this is an expansive, far-reaching global network here, I just want to make it very clear to people who are listening, what you endeavored to do, Rick, uh, this Man in Motion World Tour, that took you on a 26-month trek. You logged more than 40,000 kilometers through 34 countries, four continents before crossing Canada. I mean, what a feat. What a feat. And so well, so can you maybe speak to us a little bit about, you know, because obviously there was good days, there was bad days, there was incremental weather, there were probably things that were working against you in terms of having to push through the adversity. Um, you know, how did you how did you keep yourself going? I mean, obviously you had people around you who were cheering you on at every juncture, but how did you in your own mind, the fatigue and everything else that you must have felt and just physically feeling good some days, not necessarily feeling good other days, how did you how did you manage to keep yourself going? Well, you know, the, the most important thing for me was the purpose as to why I was actually doing the tour and, you know, and, and that came from my life experiences, uh, you know, like trying to overcome my own handicap uh, my own attitude and prejudice uh, of what 
a person with a disability was capable of and what life was like. And so I had to actually, when I became disabled, I had to overcome that, and I realized how how critical attitude and uh, and awareness is. And and then I experienced it with others as I traveled the world as a Paralympian, and often you know faced prejudice and uh, you know people who would you know not want to speak to you because you were in a chair or try to avoid contact or taxi drivers not wanting to pick you up when you're trying to hail a ride or going to going to the environments where you've won a world championship or a Paralympic gold medal and someone patting you on the top of the head and saying, isn't that marvelous that you, you've gotten out of the hospital and that you can participate? And I'm going like, yeah, those, are, those are things that I experienced. And then, of course, the physical barriers that I faced everywhere, you know, whether it would be, you know, in, in infrastructure, uh, hotels, um, you know, athletic facilities, restaurants, uh, transportation, uh, you know, and and then my colleagues who were champions and and uh, and athletes from countries all around the world, no matter what kind of disability they had, they all told the same stories. And I, I thought, you know, uh, you can complain about it, but at some point, you know, uh, why not try to do something about it? And as I said earlier, connecting the dots between, um, you know, being inspired by Terry's journey, being inspired by Stan Strong doing my part to combine my talent as a marathoner and a Paralympic champion and and seeing a problem and then trying to connect it with a solution, I decided that I would try to wheel around the world uh, 40,000 kilometers, the circumference wow. of the equator at the Earth and at the fattest part of the equator. And, 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 and that uh, that was going to be my challenge as a symbolic statement that, you know, that people with disabilities could achieve you know, uh, potential and, uh, and and great things if barriers were removed physically or attitudinally. And hopefully that journey would also inspire people to remove their own barriers and, uh, and help others in their communities. And, and that was my, that was my dream. And, and so when the going got tough as it did, uh, you know, right from the very beginning, it was the, it was the, the, the belief in that dream that powered me through. And it also, caused me to search for examples of that, little ones that were sometimes taking place when all hell was breaking loose and I was either injured or it was bad weather or not a lot of people were responding. And, and then someone uh, with a disability would uh, would be waiting on the road and with a big smile and, and saying, go for it, Rick, we're with you, man. Or, mm-hmm. you know, someone would, would actually, you know, pass over, uh, you know, a piggy bank and, that you know, they've been saving some pennies and, and oh. you know, and these are the sorts of moments that would inspire you to, to keep going. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then lastly, I guess the, you know, the most important thing is, is that, you know, no one gets anywhere on their own. And, you know, and, and I had an amazing team and, and during those darkest moments where you think about quitting, um, you know, there's uh, there's there's definitely someone uh, on your team who's there for you. And my physiotherapist, uh, who became my wife, uh, Amanda, uh, really had one of the biggest impacts on me because she reminded me, you know, when I really wanted to quit on a on a on a dark day, you know, near the home stretch, uh, when things weren't happening, uh, before I got back to Canada, and and she said, you know, Rick, you just have to have faith. If you have faith. You can't see it right now, but just around the corner, uh, Providence is going to kick in, and and something good is going to happen, and your 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 dream will come true. And and uh, it was interesting because when she she convinced me to hang in there, 
uh, just a, a few weeks later, we uh, we had a chance to uh, you know to actually have a big uh, momentum changing interview on the Today Show with Brian Gumble, and mm-hmm. uh, and some Canadians were home watching that, and they got involved in a big way, and uh, and they prepared so that by the time I got back, the impact was exponentially greater than I could have ever imagined. But if Amanda hadn't encouraged me at that point to just hang in there, just try a little harder and uh, and, and, and believe that good things will happen, um, I might have just turned my back and shut it down and that moment would have never happened. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, as if that mission of what you set out to do and what you were successful in, in achieving, as if that weren't enough, it was shortly thereafter that uh, the Rick Hansen Foundation was created because you wanted to continually do things for the sake of uh, raising awareness, raising funds, um, you know, and creating a world basically without barriers for people with disabilities. So why don't we talk a little bit about the Rick Hansen Foundation, its inception, where you are today, how things are striving uh, and thriving, um, and any new updates that people might be interested to know and learn about through you directly, Rick? Well, you know, when I finished the tour, uh, I, I thought that was my, my contribution. I, I was going to actually contribute, you know, it was about a year and a bit in planning. It was supposed to be a year and a half in execution, and we ended up delaying uh, by an extra six or seven months because we needed to slow the pace down to work the message on the home stretch. And, and and then uh you know six months to a year in wind down that was my volunteer commitment and i uh, i thought that i would then go back to my paralympic sport uh pathway and and i was only 29 at the time when i completed the journey and i was starting to reach my peak but what had happened is i i had realized through that that journey that the tour would maybe be uh having a contribution in some way but I realized the scope and the magnitude of the challenges that existed around the world for so many people with disabilities and, and also the possibility of maybe inspiring uh, people to believe that a cure for spinal cord injury was possible mm-hmm. and that those two big dreams, uh, you know, had really just started to, you know, emerge into the realm of possibility and, and my life had been changed immensely from the tour and decided that, you know, that we needed to keep things going and, and uh, we formed our our foundation to manage the results of not only the awareness that was built, but also the $26 million that was raised, mm-hmm. and uh, and then to disperse you know resources out into in, into communities and and to help support researchers as well, and and that uh, that became the beginning of then a life mission, and and of course there has been a lot that's taken place uh, over the last. 30 years since I was wheeling down the home stretch of my Man in Motion World Tour. <laughs> and we look back now and you go, wow, um, you know, uh, there's there's been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of optimism in the area of spinal cord research and, mm-hmm. you know, people are uh, are making progress and, uh, and they're sharing results. And we have the Rick Hansen Institute, which is a global network of collaboration where people are, are actually uh, working uh, together to, to measure progress and to to share results and to collaborate on on clinical trials and and and, and encourage people to uh, keep setting the bar higher and and so now you think about it there's a there's a network of many in motion uh, working for the same dream and 
and of course, uh, the world is smaller and more connected. And yes. you know, I believe that there's no question a cure for spinal cord injury is going to happen. But I also believe that for the 1.1 billion people on the planet who are living with a disability today, according to the World Health Organization, the world's largest minority, by the way, and uh, that this uh, this this is a huge global issue, and maybe those folks won't ever get a chance to be cured in their lifetime. But the, if we can just remove barriers and the, those individuals can have the opportunity to perhaps gain education, uh, to, to, to get a job, to, to make a contribution, to, to have a family or to be connected and uh, involved with their community, to be accepted as equals and to, to, to really feel deeply they don't need to be cured in order to be whole as human beings. And, and mm-hmm. this, uh, this, this is uh, this is a real emerging possibility, and and of course the, the world, you know, in this field is also more connected and, and smaller, and people are sharing, you know, examples of inspiration where people are moving forward. They're identifying barriers because we still have a lot of barriers, and and mm-hmm. uh, and those barriers are being brought into the light so people can respond and remove them, and and uh, I I believe that. You know, the great things are happening, and it's probably more uh, more inspirational for me today than it was during the original Man in Motion tour because I feel like there there has been so much progress, and I feel like there's so many people who are involved and doing their own their own thing to contribute, and and you know, it's really neat to be able to think of ways where people can also, in spite of their own uniqueness and individuality, come together and forge more of a global community of collaboration so people understand just how big this community is and why it should be top of mind for everybody. Absolutely. Well, given that we're coming upon the 30th anniversary, uh, May 22nd, 1987 is, is uh, the date that you completed the Man in Motion date, and we're coming up for, again, the 30th anniversary. In the span of your contributions, your leadership, and everything you've endeavored to do and all that you've accomplished and it being, you know, for the collective, what have you come to see as some of the shifts, whether it be we're talking about the political level, whether we're talking about societal perceptions, uh, people living with disabilities themselves and getting a little bit more on board with how they can proactively empower themselves and the community. Um, what are some of the infrastructure? What are some of the bylaws, the laws? What, what have you seen positively change within the span of 30 years? Well, I think, you know, that when I started on my tour, largely, uh, you know, society viewed disability almost uh, as, a, as a bit of a charitable issue, um, you know, something that's sort of, oh, well, I'm really sorry that you or your family have to deal with this and maybe we should make a contribution. And and it's merged past, which is still an important issue and, uh, you know, an area of, of interest and support and will always be, but I think we've moved beyond that and and uh and and we've also seen now this is you know entrenched globally especially through nations and and the united nations this moved to a more of a human rights uh you know uh, imperative where, yes. where where there's the uh, you know there's the, there's the convention uh you know of on, on rights and freedoms of people with disabilities in the UN and you know countries around the world have signed on to that uh, where they've um, stated that yes they recognize that it, you know, it's it's a human right for people with disabilities to be included as equals, and then they've been mandated to create plans to 
you know, to be able to remove barriers and achieve that intent. And then they're also now having to report back to the United Nations on their progress. And so that's a, that's a big transformation. And in Canada, a recent Angus Reid poll identified that over 90% of Canadians believe 100% that, uh, that it, it is a human right. And so, you know, it's not just a, a piece of paper, uh, but it's actually now being embedded in attitudes and awareness and, and our expectations. And that's uh, really encouraging to see. And that really gives people the social safety net and the legislative framework to be able to, you know, to challenge uh, barriers, not just from a, you know, uh, a pity perspective or uh, or a charitable concern, but mm-hmm. really as a, as, a, as, a, as a covenant and a tenant of our nation and or of global civil society of social justice and opportunities for all. And this is a, this is a big, big breakthrough and a baseline for these um, minimum standards that uh, will uh, will be uh, enforceable, and that's uh, that's really uh, I think uh, a powerful shift. However, probably the the greatest potential uh, in the future is that you know is that we have aging baby boomers that are emerging, and they're having visual or hearing or mobility or cognitive challenges and uh, and or sometimes mental illness or depression, and and so the the issues that they will face will be in many ways the, the same issues that the disabled community to date faces, but now we're going to see an exponential increase in the numbers of people. In Canada, it's expected with immigration and population growth that by 2035 uh, that we'll see uh, probably one in five Canadians will have a disability, almost nine million Canadians. and So wow. disability is going to affect everybody. And, and what that really means is not just in in terms of the political weight in uh, in enforcing minimum standards from legislation, but it's also going to create an emerging uh, powerful economic force because these same boomers will will be you know employees and and they'll be customers and and they'll be people who will perhaps drive innovation to have new products and services to be developed to support their quality of life and their ability to achieve their potential and meet their expectations for global traveling or just uh, just to be part of a family and go down to the local restaurant without having to face a visual or a hearing or a mobility challenge. And and that transformation will accelerate progress and we'll see those those three pillars of charitable and human rights and economic forces accelerating progress to the point where we start to see it normalized mm-hmm. the disability will be a normalized issue without stigma and and accessibility will just be natural of course because we all get it and uh, and I think if you look at the next 30 years you know and no Canada will will will, will be completely accessible and and I see this 30th anniversary milestone almost like as a halfway mark in the ultra marathon of social change and when you get to halfway uh, you kind of get inspired because you go holy mackerel we've made a lot of progress in 30 years uh, so uh, you know if we've done it once we can do it again and hopefully uh, hopefully I can still be around when we can kind of have a you know uh, an incredible celebration that uh, that Canada is accessible and, mm-hmm. and then of course uh, you know continue to keep broadening the the focus and attention globally to 
help so many other countries that are still probably struggling to to also achieve that goal. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, I really appreciate the optimism and the projected report of what we can anticipate seeing happen. Um, it's very inspiring and very liberating to hear that. So, again, thank you for your contributions towards making that a reality, Rick. Um, you know, I, like all of us, I think language, the power of language is, is so pivotal. And so, you know, what would your, be your uh, personal beliefs as it relates to the word specifically disability? Do you find it to be a disempowering word or is it more so a descriptor that's universally understood when you're talking about the subject matter of what that implies and what it's indicative of? Yeah, you know, that's a great, great question and a great point. Uh, I, I think often words, you know, they they mean different things to different people. And I, and I think probably the most important thing is, you know, is is what does the person listening to the word think? And and uh, you know and and of course, what I found is that you know that there's lots of different words that people use to to describe a, a person with a disability. It's often the intention, you know, that's either behind it or um, perceived by it. And uh, and I think those are the two most fundamental uh, issues. And and but it's also nice to try to create a a more universal word that you know that is you know that is just uh, you know a statement of fact without loaded with stigma or burden or prejudice or limitation and it seems like the united nations has uh, has identified the word disability as more of the statement of fact um you know that there's a, a, a circumstance you know that the person is dealing with um and uh but it's not a disabled person they they usually try to say it's a person who happens to have a disability um so there's still a whole person uh, but there's perhaps a um a medical condition um you know uh, perhaps uh, someone has had a you know that was born with uh, spinal bifida or uh, blindness uh, you know or mm-hmm. or someone's hard of hearing um and so that's a that's a factual description to help people maybe relate uh, or understand uh, maybe address a barrier uh, but by no means should it discount our view of that person as a as a as a, as a person, uh, mm-hmm. as a whole human being, and and I think I think that's uh, definitely starting to gain uh, you know a, a fair bit of traction. And but there are still people who still see that word as being burdened and and loaded, and and so I, I guess you know um, there's other perspectives and. Uh, some people also then address the word handicap as the more of the social. Um, sort of imposed stigma or mm-hmm. burden on people uh, who happen to have a disability, and they're trying to remove the the handicapping uh, scenarios, either the the perceptions or the physical barriers, so that you know that really that person can just uh, you know be accepted uh, and included in society without any unnatural barriers, and and mm-hmm. uh, and of course the goal is also to move. From just the word accessibility, uh, which is kind of the maybe an imperative 20 years ago, just to get you know in your foot in the door or to get mm-hmm. to get into a building, uh, to be actually moving to inclusivity and you know, yes. inclusivity is is more about a holistic view. Uh, you can get in a you can get in a, in, a, in the door of a radio station, but can you become an employee and and uh, and work there um, or you know, can you be a guest, uh, you know, in the studio? And 
and uh, and those are different mindsets and we've we sort of i think we're coming a long way and and yet you know as we speak there's a there's a quadriplegic uh, member of the legislative assembly in Winnipeg Manitoba named Stephen Fletcher yes. who who basically is, is is you know benefiting from you know the 90s breakthrough where the legislature uh, this is a historic building was made uh, accessible, completely accessible uh, from uh, the entry point uh, in the main, you know, uh, front of the building, uh, which overcame a, you know, a, a handicap of people thinking that historic buildings couldn't be modified, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, and that was a big breakthrough in the 90s. But you know, here it is, you know, 2017, and he's a, a member of the legislative assembly, elected by you know his constituency and. And and the floor of the legislature is not accessible, and he can't get down onto the floor like any other member to perform his duties. And so he's working with government because he was elected, and uh, and shining a light on another barrier. And and now they're moving to move from access to the building to being included in the building and functioning, uh, you know, as a member. And and that's uh, that's where we're moving towards. And I I think that's where it's also important to you know, to create a framework when we measure uh, accessibility that, you know, we don't get caught or seduced into the trap that, you know, it's good enough to meet minimum codes of compliance. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because yesterday's standards, um, you know, will be today's handicaps. And so we have to keep space for innovation, you know, by always thinking about how society is moving forward to continue to shift our views and be progressive and not getting trapped by, you know how, how how we are today because the things that'll happen in the next 30 years will just boggle our minds and the last thing we want to do is create you know anchor points that keep us from getting there faster absolutely good point i really appreciate you raising that for the listeners and myself um so rick you know maybe um it's not an easy question to answer, and I'm not, I'm, I imagine you've probably been asked this before, but somebody who is really in the personal growth, personal development industry as I am, and very uh, drawn to the whole aspect of mindset and leadership, um, and, you know, and different experiences shape all our lives, and it's hard to say for sure that if certain things happen to us, whether we would still have ventured to be on the same path, if we would still have the same gumption, if we would still have the same fortitude. Um, but knowing who you were predating your accident, do you think had that incident not occurred that you would still, knowing who you were at 15, and I know that's a very impressionable age and you're still figuring things out within yourself and the world around you uh, and your relationship to the rest of the world, do you think you would still have been as compassionate an individual, as empathic a person, um, as dedicated to paying it forward and being of service to other people? Do you think somewhere along the line that would have naturally come to be, whether it played out differently uh Either way, you know, my, my guess is that that uh, you know my accident was a real uh, you know gauntlet, and, uh, and what I mean by that is probably before my injury, you know, I I think I was a pretty good athlete, you know, uh, I was involved in a lot of sports, you know, and but uh, I don't know if I was a great athlete, and and uh, and I guess the you know the accident kind of maybe it maybe caused me to focus. Uh, for the first time in my life on one fundamental challenge and and that was to really to really address the, the enormity of what had happened to me and mm-hmm. and and try to 
write myself and and uh, and still move forward in life. And it's one thing I couldn't escape from. And whereas you know in sport when things got a little bit challenging or maybe boring, I'd just kind of reframe and pick up something else. And you know, sort of like believed that anything was possible, but didn't understand the difference that not everything is. And focus is the key. And maybe one of the keys through focus is also to define your you know discipline uh, in and your attitude and your philosophy for life and and uh, and realize how important attitude is and and so the the accident you know was that immovable force and and uh, I had to grind through it and uh, you know in many ways you know sort of suffer um, and the suffering uh, caused me to think and to reflect and to and to uh, understand how important you know the power of thought is and uh, the space between what's happened to you and what you think and then how you feel and that mindfulness I think emerged uh, over time to realize that my gosh you know the most of my pain wasn't coming from the fact that I you know wasn't coming from my physical injury or the the physicalness of not being able to use my legs uh, it was how I viewed it and uh, you know and I was just having to recognize that I needed to work through that to to accept loss to you know to uh, to grieve to you know to come through and uh, and then also make choices about okay um, I'm not going to be able to change history um, you know uh, maybe not even ever be able to bring back the use of my legs but well I can still live a life and uh, and I'm still the same person and still want to be able to unleash my abilities and be connected to family and friends and community and and so I just had to adapt and shift my perspective and and I think that uh that accident caused me to learn so much so by trial and error and it's a miracle that I somehow uh managed to stay afloat and uh and then to rebuild but again I I I'm mindful of how many amazing people helped me get to that point uh, family members who were there when you were, you know, in, in real pain or, you know, the medical profession when you needed, uh, you know, medical support or uh, people like Stan Strong who came into your life at a time when you you, you really were looking for direction. And, and that that's a, that's a, it puts you in a real position of being grateful and, uh, and also makes you realize that, that, you know, that that accident accelerated a lot of learnings for me and, I like to think that maybe I was I would obviously still be going as far as I could in sport. Probably wouldn't have gone as far because I probably who knows what maybe wouldn't have focused uh, mm-hmm. as much as I did. And uh, I like to think I would have still been involved in making a difference, perhaps through coaching and teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the scope of my of my uh, ability to uh, you know to reach people um, has uh, has changed to a quantum level. And and again, uh, I looking back, I'd never trade my life for the use of my legs. Love it. Beautiful. And what are you most grateful for, Rick? I'm most grateful for the fact that I have a chance to be here and live this incredible life. Uh, you know, it's a, it, it truly is a gift and, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm grateful for the people that I'm, uh, I'm surrounded by and connected to. And uh, I'm grateful for the fact that I'm able to have a sense of meaning and purpose, and uh, and and I, I wake up every morning, and uh, and I and I'm excited about the day, and 
And even though when I have tough days, I'm still, you know, I'm still grateful to be going through it. And I hope I can stretch out as much uh, out of this life as possible and find new adventures and, uh, and, and new goals and new dreams and, and also continue to be surrounded by my family and friends and, uh, and to be part of their lives as well. And, uh, after all, at the end of the day, you know, to be able to give love and to receive it uh, is one of the most important uh, gifts that one can ever have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, you've accomplished more in your lifetime than the majority of people on average. And a lot of people, and I think that in itself defies whatever stigma may still be attached to the word or the conception or the misconception of disability. And so I always find it particularly interesting, you know, some people who have uh, left the most impactful uh, legacies are the people who incurred the more, most hardship where you would be truly tested, truly challenged, and it would be considered, at least from an optic standpoint, uh, more justifiable for somebody to kind of lose the human spirit, to lose the gumption for really loving life, appreciating life, or even being grateful for life. And so when I see what you have risen out of and when I see what you've aspired to accomplish, and again, all for the namesake of the collective and, and putting it back out there and raising awareness. It's not just about Rick Hansen. It's about people who are in Rick Hansen's situation and the fact that there's so much more that needs to be recognized and done um, from a humanitarian perspective and knowing that we're all equal and we all do belong and we all should be included and embraced. So when I look at people such as yourself who have encountered what you've encountered in terms of obstacles, um, and yet I compare that and contrast that with a great demographic of humanity who, and I know it's all relative, it's not to negate other people's hardships, but when I look at what you've gone through as compared to other people who are able-bodied, who sometimes because of being able-bodied take for granted what they have as opposed to other people like yourself who have had to reinvent yourself with what no longer is uh, accessible to you in, in the sense of the usage of your legs. I mean, why do you think some people who have not been as challenged perhaps as you have or other people like Terry Fox, you know, why do these people succumb and, and sometimes hide behind victimology or give up or, or, or don't see that there's a lesson or there's a gift in which to transform their lives and make something beautiful out of it? Why do you think there's two pods of mindsets here? What, like what, what do you think the distinguishing factors are or, or what's the common denominator that separates those two into different branches? Well, you know, the first thing is I don't think that there's a real uh, line between abled and disabled and, uh, you know, I mean, because uh, Michael J. Fox uh, put it uh, beautifully when he says, you know, we all have our bag of hammers to carry in life and some uh, maybe are just uh, not so visible. And uh, and so, you know, and it's all, you know, how we perceive the things that we're carrying uh, that uh, that either can magnify it and or you know, make it go uh, a little lighter. And, and I think mm-hmm. I think in reality, too, that, you know, people are, are all so different and you know, there's such a mosaic of uh, perspectives, 
mm-hmm. and uh you know and it's it's not about uh anyone being uh you know more talented or capable um than anyone else it's just that we all see things and and experience things in so many different ways and who knows where it comes from you know it comes from uh you know uh, from uh, our genes or the way we were brought mm-hmm. up or the people we encountered or the things that happened to us uh, or you know uh, our attitude and our perspective along the way and it's all it's all connected and uh, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day what really counts that every human being uh, you know is precious and uh, yes. and, and and we uh, we ought to honor and respect people for who they are and and where they are in their life and and uh, and have compassion and and uh, mm-hmm. ultimately if people are suffering um you know do our best to uh, to try to alleviate suffering uh, and and yet uh, the irony of that is that we all seem to suffer and so maybe mm-hmm. that's part of our humanity is uh, we're connected by that cycle of uh in some way uh, you know uh, living our life and dealing with these challenges and uh, and yet our intense uh, humanity of caring and loving mm-hmm. Beautiful. So for somebody that, because I'm sure you've interfaced with many people who are new in the journey to spinal cord injury, uh, young people, people of all ages, demographics. So, you know, for somebody who, um, you know, has been mentored by you or has had the opportunity to learn from your story, from your example, from your leadership, you know, for somebody who at that juncture would be very much entitled to feeling depressed, feeling shocked, um, you know, their whole life as they knew it being turned upside down. You know, how do you how do you connect and resonate with somebody who's in that initial state of shock, knowing you yourself were very much in that initial stage uh, before launching out to to turn your life and your incident, your accident into uh, a beautiful story, a beautiful example. Well, you know, when you have a spinal cord injury or any other kind of trauma comes out of the blue, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it is a shock. It is it is a, a pure trauma that you know that impacts the individual and their family and friends and community and and uh, everybody reacts differently to to trauma and and uh, you know of course the one thing though that when you share a, a common experience you know there is uh, there is you know a, a sense of of uh, caring and uh, and understanding uh, to a degree of what you might be facing but again layered on that is background and perception and uh you know and and so uh when i come in to uh, to meet someone when i'm asked by a family member or medical community to come in and visit which i often do in hospitals uh across the country or around the world then uh, i come in with just a pure uh, sense of compassion um mm-hmm. you know there to i'm there because i care and uh but i'm not there to be presumptuous as to 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 say that i know I know uh, what someone might be thinking or feeling because they're unique and they're on their own individual journey and and I'm not there knowing uh, how to help either because um I, I I don't really know exactly how to help but all I can do is uh is say that I I'm here because I care and and I'm here to help if I can and uh, and then you know you just try to be clear and present with someone and and to mm-hmm. And to listen to their story if they wish to tell it, and uh, and and to identify with what they're dealing with, and then ultimately to find out if there's a uh, if there's a barrier, um, you know, that you can help remove to make uh, make the going a little lighter. And that's uh, that's my purpose. And you know, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, every once in a while, 
you know you get uh, a chance to you know to uh, to hear later uh, after you've gone in um, you know that maybe something the penny dropped uh, during that conversation or that moment and and uh, there's a young man out of Prince George British Columbia who his name is Trent Seymour and he is uh, you know an indigenous um, member of uh, you know uh, of, of a First Nations community uh, out of Prince George and he was out hunting uh, with some of his friends and one of his friends uh, accidentally tripped and the gun discharged and uh, the bullet went uh, and, and uh, severed his spine mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and Trent was uh, fatally wounded or you know mortally wounded but uh, fortunately he was able to survive and uh, and uh, and he ended up uh, you know getting through his medical treatment and and uh, now he's come back down here in Vancouver and is working with our foundation and learning about how to become a fully accredited professional in the area of universal and inclusive design and he's going to be out traveling the world assessing and certifying uh, buildings and places and spaces that people live work and play and his uh, world at the age now of 19 is uh, is looking bright and you know uh, but he tells the story of how important it was when he was really uh, you know uh, in the hospital bed and wondering you know what his life would be like that you know that, that there were some people who who cared and uh and and reached out and and that's that's inspiring to know that at least uh, that moment was uh was appreciated and and mm-hmm. that it uh it helped a little bit and that's after all why uh, why we do it lovely well i appreciate you sharing that with us rick um so you know for somebody who has clearly accomplished so much uh and for somebody who's always driven bearing in mind uh what's in the best interest of other people and you know really wanting to get to that place of cure uh wanting to continually increase awareness bring awareness you know what's next on the horizon for you aside from continuing to do the ongoing uh beautiful work in which you're doing which is all embodied in the tapestry of your life but what else is it that you're also perhaps passionate about or embarking upon that we might not know. Well, you know, the, the, obviously the the next the next major platforms that we're working on with the two big dreams are, you know, this again to strengthen and uh, and extend the global network for spinal cord research inside the Rick mm-hmm. Hansen Institute, and uh, and then to to create a certification program for the built environment that is a global standard of assessing and rating the places and pa- places and spaces that people live work and play and and use the same language uh in accessibility and hopefully rate places when they're bronze at a minimum standard uh for code and uh, and then silver or gold or platinum for innovation and optimal mm-hmm. inclusivity and mm-hmm. that way the people that are trained whether they're engineers or architects or city planners or you know uh, members of uh, of the design community, they're they're all speaking the same language and measuring the same things and uh, normalizing the design culture. And I think if we can if we can create that framework and have it be adopted in every country in the world, that will uh, accelerate progress dramatically. And so those are the two big uh, strategies we're working on. And uh, and then. Lastly, uh, you know, because 
you know, I, I'm growing and learning. I, I love to extend leadership in broader areas. I encourage youth to to go after their dreams and to make a difference and find their passion and and their cause and uh, and and to be able to uh, use some of their talents to make a difference. And and then I also care about our environment and I uh, I really care about the fact that we you know we we have an impact on the environment as humans and if we uh, you know take care of our planet uh, it'll take care of us as well and and so I'm into um, you know salmon and sturgeon conservation and uh, one of the reasons I am is because my my life has been growing growing up in Canada in the environment and uh, you know uh, out hiking and camping and fishing and and uh, you know being exposed to that I also have come to realize that you you can't just uh, harvest fish uh, you have to also understand uh, you know that they need to be uh, protected and uh, there needs to be a balance because you know uh, if we uh, if we if we overstep our bounds you know then uh, you know we can create incredible stress and ultimately mm-hmm. threaten species and perhaps uh, the quality of water or land or air in which uh, you know sustains our planet and and so I love taking some of my leadership skills learned in spinal cord research and accessibility and applying it to seeing problems and looking for solutions and bringing people together to mm-hmm. to make a difference. And uh, again, it's uh, it's a privilege to be able to do that. And it's just being on your life journey and and uh, finding your balance and continuing to grow and and express yourself uh, in the best way you can. Lovely. Well, I, I really appreciate our time together. And unfortunately, I'm just um, <clears throat> cognizant of time. So we have a little bit, we've got about 10 minutes left. So what I would, I mean, your life already exemplifies uh, and you exude what living fearlessly uh, truly is about. But how would you articulate that to the audience? What does living fearlessly mean to you, Rick? Well, living fearlessly, I guess, is uh, first of all, you know, trying to maintain hope. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and finding inspiration, you know, because uh, you know uh, we all have dark moments, and uh, and and if if we can try to hang on to hope, uh, everything comes from that, and and uh, it, it gives us the belief that the, you know that things will get better, whether it's a tough day, a tough week, a tough year, um, you know, uh, hope is everything. There's a there's a uh, a book out by. Uh, a fellow named Victor Frankl is called Man's Search for Meaning, and and uh, you know it was a psychologist, uh, psychiatrist in uh, in uh, I think Auschwitz, and uh, and it was uh, the observation of people in the most horrific conditions, um, and some would would just perish, and others would somehow survive. And he characterized that one of the greatest one of the greatest driving forces was uh, this hope, this eternal. Um, belief that 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 we, one would uh, emerge and and life would be better, and uh, and I think I've seen that in in many people's uh, approach to life, and mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that's a, a really important uh, critical element. And inspiration is is about seeing the you know the beauty uh, inside the pain and suffering of every day, and uh, and there's always something to see, uh, but sometimes our mind gets um, distracted by only the pain and, and the suffering and the difficulty and and so uh, whether it's uh, 
you know, in something that one can sort of find in their own circumstance or someone who comes into their life offering love or encouragement um, or demonstrates it, you know, um, you know, by observing it, you know, between others and, and, uh, you know, and I think that we can see it, uh, you know, if we, if we look and, mm-hmm. uh, and try to balance. And then, and then lastly, I, I think it's also, you know, being able to try to drive through our fears, um, you know, and, and fears are important because they're a natural, um, safety mechanism, but also sometimes they can be uh, barriers of self-doubt, mm-hmm. of skepticism, and uh, and and all the things that could go wrong and uh, and the reasons why we shouldn't try. And, and sometimes we have to strive through uh, in spite of our fears, and, uh, and, and I think that's, uh, that's another uh, important thing for me in terms of my philosophy in life, and you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the difference between taking risks and being reckless. And yeah. uh, you know, and, and look clearly, you know, you know, one doesn't want to live a life of being reckless. But at the same time, for me, on my life, I'm uh, I'm really trying hard to, you know, to keep, uh, you know, keep growing and uh, and learning and uh, and and uh, I, I'm grateful for the journey. Well, thank you for being a fine example of all of that for us, uh, Rick. And, you know, I just want to say, aside from all the things that you're notably known for um, that make you such a stellar human being, I just want to say, above all else, what I really respect, admire, and appreciate about you is I just think you're generally the salt of the earth individual. And I respect how you live your life, and I, I love how you pay it forward and you're of service to other people. I think that fundamentally, aside from all the... Um, accolades and the rewards and the records and, and the plights and everything. I, I just think who you are speaks on its own, uh, volumes, uh, you know, which of course the other things show up naturally based on your commitment, your dedication, your drive and your vision. Um, but I just want to say that I think you're truly a phenomenal human being and, um, you know, I've derived so much inspiration from you personally on an intangible level in terms of how can I be a better human being? How can I rise in my own life? How can I rise for other people? So all I have to do is look to people like you and Terry Fox and um, all the, the phenomenal people who have embodied what's, I think, really essentially important at the core of who we should be for all of humanity. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. Thank you for your example. Well, thank you for your leadership. Thank you, Lisa, and I really appreciate the conversation, and uh, you keep up the great work, and all the best to you. Well, I appreciate that, Rick. And before we go, I want to give people an opportunity, the listeners here, to know how they can connect with you, how they can connect with the Rick Hansen Foundation, your blog, uh, anywhere else uh, people can can touch base. Yeah, if they can just look us up at rickhansen.com, that's uh, R-I-C-K-H-A-N-S-E-N.com. Uh, that will bring them to uh, our foundation website, and uh, they can get a, a view of the kind of programs we're working on. And, and of course, um, if they want to connect in in any way uh, or share some information, uh, I'm sure our, our, our team would love to hear from them. And and uh, and obviously, we're we're trying to bring together a, a movement, and and uh, we definitely can't do it on our own. There's uh, it's a big hill to climb, and we still have a long way to go. Beautiful. And so where will you be on May 22nd, bringing the 30th anniversary? Well, I'll be with a, a group of youth leaders in Ottawa, the capital of our country, and, and uh, we'll be 
will be uh, you know having uh, you know, uh, this uh, amazing group of uh, youth and you know and encouraging them to be the next uh, generation of difference makers and and uh, we'll be uh, uh, at the uh, at the Museum of History in uh, in Gatineau and looking forward to uh, commemorating uh, you know a, a historic item from the Man in Motion tour and and uh, hopefully having that become a reminder that that the tour is uh, you know part of our nation's journey but more importantly it symbolizes uh, you know uh, the charter of rights and freedoms that we have as our country and uh, and our ongoing journey towards accessibility and inclusivity. Lovely. Lovely. Well, we'll all be with you in spirit on that day, and, and no doubt it'll be televised because it's a very pivotal day in history, Canadian history, worldwide history. So I just want to say I'll be with you in spirit, celebrating with you, and um, I want to thank you again for the gift of your time, and I want to thank you for your stellar example and leadership that you impart to the rest of us here in the world. Rick, um, can't thank you enough. Really mean that thanks. sincerely. Thanks. Well, thank so you, to my, All the best. Thank you. Thank you, and to you too. And to my listening audience, I want to thank you once again for joining me here, uh, as we do every Friday. Go live with Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald on the Contact Talk Radio Network every Friday, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 o'clock Eastern. If you have any questions, if you wish to appear as a prospective guest on my show, would only be uh, so grateful to hear from you. You can reach out and reach me either at my website, lisamcdonaldauthor.com, or alternatively, you can reach me at lisamcdonald13 at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Always appreciate the feedback and all the feedback pertaining to my stellar guests who are uh, just super, super grateful with their time and generous with their time in joining us here. So I want to wish everybody a fantastic weekend. Please be safe. Please take care of yourselves. Love and gratitude and remember to live fearlessly. All my best. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.